Welcome back to the program, particularly in the first world. It's amazing how fragile our world really is. Imagine how upset we get when our cell phones don't work right or our computers get glitchy. So imagine what it would be like if the electrical grid collapsed or fuel and food supply was curtailed only for a few days, much less some far worse devastating, apocalyptic kind of event. We see it in natural disasters like tsunamis or earthquakes or floods or tornadoes. We get a glimpse, but only a glimpse, of what might happen on a larger scale. But are we prepared for any of these kinds of disasters, or do we need to be? Was Katrina and New Orleans an outlier or a harbinger? And if it was the latter, what should we know about trying to survive in a post-apocalyptic world? We're going to talk about this today with my guest, Dr. Lewis Dartnell. He's the UK Space Agency Research Fellow at the University of Leicester. He writes regularly for New Scientist, The Times, The Guardian, and The New York Times. His area of expertise is the field of astrobiology. And it is my pleasure to welcome him here to talk about his new book, The Knowledge, How to Rebuild Our World from Scratch. Lewis Dartnell, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Jeff. Thank you very much for having me. Good to have you here. It does seem sometimes that that the world is divided up into two kinds of people, those that believe that the apocalypse or some apocalyptic event really could happen, and those that just never give it a second thought. (laughs) Yeah, I I think you're right. I mean, I'm I'm a scientist. I'm I'm not some kind of doomsayer. I I don't have a a board around my neck saying the end of the world is nigh. I'm not predicting the end of the world at all. But um, this book, The Knowledge, it's, it's basically a thought experiment about how, you know, how our world works, what, what supports all of our everyday lives and kind of provides for us and, and, and the basic principles and processes that I think most of us just take for granted and don't really understand how it's all made or how things are done. So the book, to be fair, to be honest, isn't really about the apocalypse. That's just the starting right. point the thought experiment, how you could rebuild. But, but I think the apocalypse is a, is a very good way of, of phrasing this question. And as you were saying, that there have been, been catastrophic events in the, you know, in the news over the last couple of years and in the history of, of, of civilizations and cities. The, the entire civilizations have collapsed, you know, from the Aztecs and Mayans, the Romans and Greeks. It happens. And so perhaps we should be thinking about how to best prepare for this in case it does happen to us. The irony, I suppose, and this is what's also interesting to think about in this context, is that those of us in the first world are in some ways more fragile because we're more reliant on so many things yeah. than those that in the, in the second or third world. Uh, absolutely. I think... You know, all of us living in the developed world today, and, and particularly myself living in somewhere like London, you, you, we're kind of disconnected, and say, from these, these basic principles. We don't really understand how they work. We just take them for granted. And, and if there were to be an apocalypse, perhaps someone living in, you know, kind of South Sudan or Indonesia or somewhere in the kind of hills and, and kind of rainforest, perhaps they wouldn't even bat an eyelid, you know, because they already know how to support themselves and their own lives and, and make the things they need and, and how to grow their own food. And it's, you know, urbanites like myself living in kind of big cities that, that would really struggle because we just take stuff for granted today. And there are two parts of that. One, more and more of the world is moving towards large cities today. We know that demographically. The other yeah. aspect is the complexity of the world today and, and the fact that it is so much more complex. And yeah, one wonders yeah. when you look historically at previous 
extinctions, at previous apocalyptic events, if there is some similarity with respect to complexity, although it's certainly not the kind of technical complexity we know today, if complexity was a hindrance in the past in survival. Yeah, you're absolutely right that the developed world today is, everything is just so interconnected and interlinked in, in terms of um, electricity running the kind of processing of, of, of drinking water or refining fuels and, and fuels being needed for the um, transport trucks to take food from the fields, the agricultural fields into our supermarkets and electricity being needed in the kind of refrigeration. It's all kind of deeply linked. And it's probably the case that our civilization isn't more resilient or more robust because of that interconnectedness, but is probably more vulnerable, as you were saying, that you might need only to take one of those links out and this whole house of cards would kind of come tumbling down. Right. And so, so something like uh, an EMP, a, a coronal mass ejection spat out by the sun causing kind of an electromagnetic pulse, could feasibly, I'm not saying this is likely or is about to happen, but it could possibly crash the power distribution grids you know, across entire continents. So imagine what it would be like to go from our modern world to a basically pre-electrical existence overnight. That, that would certainly be a massive jolt to society. And hopefully we'd be able to continue and be resilient and kind of keep ourselves going. But that might be the kind of thing that could collapse civilization as other civilizations have collapsed throughout history. And so the one book that I would say, the kind of conceit for the knowledge, is that this is the one book you would need to rebuild everything from the ground up, to, to pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps from kind of very rudimentary um, principles up to kind of a, an advanced civilization again. One of the things that makes conversation about this so complicated, I suppose, today mm. is the idea that when we look at survivalists, when we look at people that take this stuff very seriously, we tend to interpret it as their desire to go back to a simpler time, a less complex time. And we don't necessarily look at it in the context that you presented, for example, in the knowledge where this is something really worth thinking about, both as a thought experiment and as a potential disaster situation. Yeah, exactly. There are a lot of survivalists and preppers, but particularly in the United States, who, who take the possibility of doomsday or the apocalypse very seriously, and they, they take sensible steps for stockpiling canned food and purified water and you know, kind of guns to protect themselves and then their family. And what I'm doing with the knowledge is picking up after that point, you've survived the apocalypse. Perhaps, perhaps you prepared for it, perhaps you didn't. But what do you do now? You've survived, but what can you do to start rebuilding everything and recovering? And I, and I don't think that that book had been written before, which is why I you know, found it fascinating to kind of search all these different areas of the modern world and, and how society works and try to condense it all down into this, this one book, into the knowledge. And, and so hope, hopefully preppers would find this very, very interesting to read but, but I found, and I think, you know, everyone living in kind of the world today would find something of interest in this book about right. explaining these things we take for granted, how they actually work. Is that part of the appeal, do you think, of things like steampunk, which in a way is a, this blending of old and new in, a, in, in an interesting kind of way? 
Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. As, as preppers talk about the kind of idyllic lifestyle of a, a rural, simpler existence, I think another major theme of the book, and I, I, I mentioned steampunk explicitly, is the kind of the, the anachronistic aesthetic, kind of combining things from different ages, from different periods of history. And one thing that would almost certainly happen if civilization were to have to reboot from scratch after, after the apocalypse and the end of our civilization, is that you would redevelop capability in different areas at different times, different rates. And one of the things you want to you know, leapfrog straight to, to, to rediscover and reinvent as quick as you can, is electricity. Because it's so useful in so many different functions of civilization, you want to get right back to electricity and leapfrog over centuries of our own history. And in that sense, you might have, you know, kind of oxen-drawn plows in the fields and windmills, but those windmills might be turning generators for electricity rather than just grinding grain into flour, as they would have done during, you know, the medieval ages. So it would be a very kind of steampunk-type world, I think, for, for, for very good reasons, for, for necessary reasons. Which raises the question of, of what's really important. Is it the technology that's important, or is it the ideas that are important? And sure that there's overlap, but in terms of thinking about rebuilding a civilization, is it parts we want, or is it ideas we want? But, I mean, it, it's absolutely both. You, you can't separate the two, I think. I think you, you could be the brainiest person in the world, and you could know everything there is to know, but unless you can actually apply that knowledge and make it practically useful to stop yourself getting ill or growing enough food for yourself or making the substances and materials that we use in, in our everyday lives, that the knowledge itself is, is kind of impotent. But then on the other hand, if you've got the technology but you don't know the knowledge in, in order to maintain that technology or repair it or build it yourself, then it's also impotent. So you need both the scientific knowledge and understanding and the application of technology and they, they, they work hand in hand and, and throughout history there's been this kind of cycle you know this kind of symbiotic this mutualistic relationship between the two and so you would need to recover both you know at kind of equivalent rates with each other you make the point that one of the most valuable things is the scientific method itself mm. so if you I mean it's, it's clearly impossible and then the 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 knowledge operates in a conceit that you could actually condense down the whole, the sum total of human knowledge that we know today and put it into a single book. That, that's clearly impossible. And in fact, it'd be impossible to put it into a, in an, into a complete library because we know so much today. So the, the, the problem, the question now becomes, what seed, what kernel can you provide that under the right circumstances redevelops and kind of grows back to this vast tree of scientific knowledge and technological innovation that we have today. And the process you need to go through to allow that to happen as quickly as possible is the scientific method. It is this way of being curious and investigating the world and testing it in different ways and working out which of your explanations is the best explanation and throwing out the, the rubbish explanations. Because by doing that, you can kind of relearn all that we know today um, and, and kind of reconstruct everything. And so in this sense, I describe the scientific method as the most important invention of them all. It's science that built our modern world of antibiotics and radio and, and aircraft, and it's science you would need absolutely to rebuild from scratch again. It does make you think about the fact that when you talk about libraries, that we are in this massive process of digitizing the world's libraries. 
And you you do wonder about that in this context. You do. I mean, having kind of an e-reader, so perhaps something like a Kindle, it's an incredible device for, for storing a vast trove of information. You can fit thousands of books on, on a single Kindle. You can fit an entire library in a Kindle. So if, as long as you had a way of recharging that Kindle, perhaps some kind of you know solar panel, or you could jury-rig a kind of a windmill and kind of scavenge stuff to keep your Kindle recharged. I think digital or digitized books are, are, a, are a wonderful thing, as long as we don't lose access to that information. And one of the things that I talk about in the knowledge is how to make ink for yourself, how to make paper, and how to build a printing press. So with those three things, the knowledge contains the, the kind of genetic instructions for its own reproduction, if you like. Only one single copy of that book needs to survive, and you can build a printing press to make endless copies, to, to replicate it, and then give all the survivors their own copy. And I think that's kind of one of the kind of fascinating concepts I stumbled across when I, when I was researching for this book. You know, that, the nature of how best to preserve information itself and, and make it available for everyone. Of course, the leapfrog to that is thinking, yeah. you know, maybe 10 years down the road with respect to 3D printing. Yeah, so we're not quite there just yet, but, but perhaps in the near future, and if we decide to take this seriously, maybe we could make, build some kind of um, mountainside vault and protect it against anything that the, the kind of humans or kind of warfare could throw at it and perhaps hold a digitized library of crucial information and a 3D printer. And, and maybe, I say it's not possible just yet, I don't think, but maybe you could just discover this after the apocalypse and just key into it and it could basically reboot civilization for you. It could print the tools you need. It can then tell you how to make a blast furnace and print the crucial components for that, which you then assemble and use to make lots more metal and, you know, kind of and accelerate this process. You start pulling yourself up yeah. by your own bootstraps. But as I say, we're not quite there yet. 3D printing doesn't quite have that capability. Of course, there's nothing inevitable, as you talk about it, about the way in which technology and civilization has evolved, and that if you get the opportunity to reboot... There, there's no telling that it could go in very different directions, even an anti-technological direction. I mean, it, it may well do, exactly. Um, and one of the things I don't really talk about in the book, but because it's a science and technology book, is kind of societal things. And I don't talk about what kind of government might be the best kind to use. I, I think it's kind of hard to provide a 10-step guide to creating a democracy, because at the end of the day, it's, it's human nature for the strongest to kind of dominate and lead. And, and I don't think you can change that. But things like the laws of physics and, and, the, and science and technology that helps human existence, these things are universal. And you can boil them down to their essence and, and the fundamental principles to put into a book like the knowledge. And, and hopefully, if civilization were to collapse and then reboot, we could learn from our mistakes. Perhaps we wouldn't do the things, the same things wrong. Perhaps we wouldn't. Um, you know, kind of struggle with maintaining natural resources and kind of sustaining ourselves. But, but as I say, you know, that's the civilization, the society after us to, to mm. deal with. You can't kind of predict that kind of thing. What there certainly would be, and what, what's interesting to think about, is a whole change in the hierarchy of skills and what's important and what isn't. I, I think you're right. You'd, you'd have to kind of go to a simpler structure of society, at least at the very beginning, when you would need more people, you know, a higher percentage of people to be working in the fields because you don't have 
pesticides and combine harvesters and artificial fertilizers. You'd have to use slightly less efficient methods of agriculture. But you'd still need different crafts and skills and areas of expertise, whether it's carpentry and constructing buildings or being an ironsmith and repurposing things and perhaps making, you know, the, the, the shares for, for plows in the field. So you would have a simpler civilization, simpler structure of society, but you'd still need to fill certain critical roles um, to provide everything for everyone else. I mean, I guess the question really is, and it's it's only fun to speculate about it, it really would depend on what it is that brought about that kind of extinction or that kind of apocalypse. That would that would really, in some ways, signal the ways in which society might be rebuilt. Yeah, exactly. So I, I haven't specified any one particular catastrophe or any particular scenario because something different might happen. So you've got to be very kind of broad and, and general when you're kind of starting yourself in this kind of project on, on the knowledge you need to rebuild. And it would make a big difference um, as to what situation you find yourself in when you start again and how quickly you might be able to recover. And, and clearly something like a, a global nuclear war, you would really, really struggle to recover quickly from that be because fundamental things like the ground would be poisoned with radioactivity. Things as simple as farming would be very, very difficult with, with a nuclear winter. And so the, the starting point for the book, for the knowledge, is, is the kind of the best way the world could end, as it were. And this might be something like a, a pandemic uh, flu, a kind of plague that kills 99.99% of, of the people, but all the stuff is left behind. The kind of cities haven't been destroyed, so you can scavenge and then kind of forage in them for the stuff you need in this kind of grace period at the beginning of the recovery process. But, you know, there's kind of specifics that you don't want to kind of get yourself too pinned to because it might happen a different way. Talk about the process for you of thinking about this. In some ways, it's science fiction. In some ways, it's science fantasy. I mean, it, it touches on so many different arenas. Talk a little bit about the process of thinking about it and, and the degree to which it was fun in some respects. I mean, it, it was enormous fun, and it was actually fascinating for me to, to research this book and then learn a whole lot of things. And I wasn't just referring to uh, modern textbooks. I went back to kind of, you know, things that were written in the 1800s about traditional ways of doing things. And I got a lot of hands-on experience uh, learning how to do things for myself. And I went to uh, an original 18th century iron forge and, and worked as a blacksmith with a hammer and anvil to make tools for myself to, to learn how to do that. And, and this has all been fascinating, and, and you can explore all of this, um, this other material on the book's website, which is the-knowledge.org, the-knowledge.org. And there's a whole lot of uh, articles you can read and photos to look at and some how-to videos that we filmed um, that, that kind of go into some of these things. And, and I show some photos of, of, the, of me making a knife for scratch, from scratch for myself. So... The premise of the book is science fiction. It is the end of the world, it's the apocalypse, and we've all seen films like I Am Legend or, or The Road. But the, the whole book that starts from that premise, from that starting point, is very much a, a popular science and technology book. There's nothing fantastical or speculative about it. You know, it's all rooted in, in basic science and technology and explains you know, these things we take for granted today. 
It, it's also the materials that we take for granted, whether it's metal or wood or concrete. I mean, things that are the basic building blocks, the physical building blocks of civilization yeah. that we really know very little about and, and kind of take for granted. No, absolutely. And even something so kind of prosaic and commonplace and, and boring like glass, you know, we, we, we literally look through it. <laughs> we, we, we take this thing for granted. No one pays any attention. But glass is such a fundamentally useful substance, and not just for making bottles or window panes out of. Glass is absolutely the, um, the keystone of science and investigating how the world works and relearning things for yourself. Because there is no other substance that is both relatively strong and transparent other than glass. You need it to make a test tube so you can hold a chemical reaction, but yet watch what happens. You can look through it to see what happens. You can use glass to make lenses, which are critical for the microscope to discover germs and, and why people get ill, and a telescope for kind of exploring you know, the kind of cosmos around us. And so without glass, you basically don't have science. And so in the book, in the knowledge, I talk about the... the the essential recipe, how you would make glass for yourself. And if you wanted to, you, you could genuinely follow those instructions and, and make some glass for yourself from the book. And I explain about why it's been so important through history and why it's one of those things you want to leapfrog straight to, to being able to make for yourself because it's so useful in lots of different walks of life that I say we just take for granted nowadays. There is an inherent romantic quality to all of this. What do you think that's about? Well, I think, I think the book's certainly optimistic. And I suppose it's romantic in the idea of going back to basics, going back to perhaps kind of an idyllic, simpler lifestyle. And as I say, I, I, found it, I found it really fascinating, really interesting, learning these things for myself and teaching myself a lot of stuff in order to, to research this book and then, and then write it. Um, and I hope that some of that, some of that comes across in this book. But it, it's... You know, it's the kind of beautiful basics of, of all these things around us. It's that, hopefully that kind of reconnection to the fundamentals of how things are made and done that, that none of us really have anymore. And, you know, I, I hope people kind of read the book and, and take that away from it as well. I hope they find it interesting. As you started to explore this, what were the things that surprised you about the things that make up our civilization and what is and isn't important? Oh, so I, I didn't know the, the, the first thing about agriculture and and how you how you get a, a plant to grow and grow as effectively as you can for providing nutrition for a human rather than kind of botany and what the plant is trying to do and then how you extract the grain from something like wheat and transform it from what's basically a plant seed into something that you can cook with that, that provides as much nutrition as you can into the human body to support us. And, and so I did, you know, I kind of found out about all those processes and I've written about them. Uh, but one thing I found absolutely intriguing when I stumbled across it was the way that you can keep transport going. You can keep your, your trucks and your automobiles running in a world without gasoline and then diesel. And it turns out that you can actually run a car on wood as a fuel, not, not, not a liquid fossil fuel, but on wood. And you use this process called gasification, where you heat the wood, you kind of com partially combust it, and it releases a whole lot of gases and vapors that you then just pipe into the cylinders in your engine and remix with oxygen and then combust as you would any other fuel. And you can drive a car 
on wood. You, you could you would talk about its you know its its efficiency in terms of miles per pound of wood rather than kind of miles per gallon. And again, this isn't kind of speculative, crazy arm waving stuff. This was a very very common thing. This was done widespread across Europe during the Second World War. There were over a million gasifier, wood gasifier-powered vehicles across Europe. And in fact, the German army had a division of tanks that was wood-powered rather than diesel-powered. And, and there's all these kind of things in the knowledge where I talk about how you could drop back to a slightly simpler, a slightly more rudimentary way of doing things, but kind of use it as a safety net to kind of catch yourself, to catch society before it falls, you know, all the way back down to a kind of hunter-gatherer existence, how you could catch that uh, deterioration and then start pulling yourself back up through your bootstraps to, to get back to our modern world right. as quickly as you can. And I guess in that framework, the environmental considerations become far less important. Well, I mean, you need to take care of the environment because even today, we rely upon the functions of the world in terms of keeping our soil healthy for growing crops keeping our rivers and, and seas and oceans clean so they can support us, keeping the air unpolluted, because at the end of the day, we have to breathe the air as much as every other animal on Earth does. So you need to be mindful of the environment. And one of the major challenges we're finding facing at the moment is kind of over-exploitation and over-harvesting of these natural resources um, and, you know, kind of climate change and things we've, we've kind of touched upon. But... Um, I mean, all of these things, they're, they're very much open to debate, and, and the knowledge is just my idea of what would be the, the crucial stuff you would want to preserve. And I'd love to discuss, discuss this with, with all of our listeners. And on Friday, if you log on to the website, uh, Reddit, Ask Me Anything, Reddit, Ask Me Anything, or AMA, uh, on Friday from 9 a.m. your time, and then throughout that whole day, throughout the whole of Friday, if you come to the Ask Me Anything website, you'll, you'll see my post on there, and, and you, can, you can honestly ask me absolutely anything under the sun about the book, about the knowledge and the crucial science and technology you would need to reboot civilization from scratch. And I'd love to hear your ideas. What, what do you think is the most crucial knowledge to preserve and how could you rebuild as quickly as possible? What could you do to accelerate that recovery? Because hey, it's, it's the starting point for discussion. You know, there's no one answer to this. Lewis Dartnell, the book is The Knowledge, How to Rebuild Our World from Scratch. Lewis, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thanks so much, Jeff. Thank Cheers. you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back. <laughs> 